Remember when you were a kid? When you would, yeah, Leo's been, he said no. I, 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 can, I, can, I can see that, so anyway. No. Remember when you were a child and you would ask for a new bicycle for Christmas? And there wasn't anything underneath the tree that looked anything like it was big enough to be a bicycle? You remember your parents used to say to you, you know, good things come in little packages. Anybody ever heard that before, right? You know, that, that's what I heard when I was a kid, when I wanted a new bicycle. The word I would get was, good things come in little packages. I'm not sure that was always true because I can't remember what I got instead of a bicycle. But anyway, so, but when we come to Christmas, sometimes there are really big truths in little words. Sometimes great, life-changing, eternity-changing truths come in little words. And one of those words, what I want to talk to you about today, is a two-letter word in the Greek that we translate also into a two-letter word. And it's the word in. And that's used all over the New Testament in many different ways, in very significant ways, probably none more significant than when the Bible talks about the fact that part of the aftermath of Christmas, part of the aftermath of the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ, is that you and I get to be in Christ. You and I get to have the Holy Spirit in us. We get to have God in us. We get to be in Christ. That little word becomes very, very significant. Now, we've been doing a little series here and kind of leading up to Christmas entitled, What Really Matters? We've been talking about the fact that it's the presence, not the presence, that really matter when it comes to Christmas. Now, this is from a guy who loves to give gifts. One of my love languages is gift giving, right? Which kills me when my wife says, we're not doing gifts this year to each other, right? I mean, it's just kind of, you know, anyway. But we, as we come to the, to the real experience of Christmas, a Christmas that really has Christ in it, we understand that it is the presence that we have, the presence of God with us and in us, and our ability to be with God and in God that really is the greatest gift for us. Now, last week, we looked at the fact that Jesus was... Uh, a fresh breakthrough of what it really means for God to be with us. Scripture has always said that there's no place that we could go on the planet where we could be separated from God. No matter where we go, God is there. But somehow Jesus arrived and he was the Emmanuel, right? He was told, the, the angels told him, you're going to call him Emmanuel because it's going to be God with us. And there was this, but there was a, this fresh sense in which Jesus was with us in a way that God had never been before because he was here personally physically, in actuality, tangibly, and he was here to do so to make it possible for you and I to have a relationship with God. He was in the world redemptively. Now, part of the aftermath of that, after Jesus is born, lives his life, dies on a cross, and is resurrected, one of the promises that he made to his disciples was that you and I would get to, be, get to experience being with God in a way that no generation ever had before. And that was that you and I were going to get to be able to experience the presence of God in us. Not just with us, but in us. And that you and I were going to get to experience God in a way that we never had before because we were going to get to be in Christ. We were going to get to be in God. 
There's lots of stuff that I could look at in the scriptures related to this today. We've actually designed this message to be just a little bit shorter, given all the things that we're doing in our service, and we still have the Lord's Supper to do, and we won't have to be that a rush job at the end. But I want to look at a few passages of Scripture with you, and I'd love for you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 14 with me. John chapter 14. Now, <coughs> we're going to be looking at the... just. Just at the 20th verse, I'm going to read just a little bit beforehand, beginning with verse 15 and then down through verse 20, and then we'll pick, come back to John 14 a little later. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, you'll find our text today on page 916, 916. And we're going to be doing a little spiritual math, because remember when you were in math class and they said, well, if A equals B and B equals C, that means that A has to equal C? Those of you who didn't fail math class, you remember that? All right? You know, we, we, we have those kinds. Of, it, well, here we're going to do a little bit of spiritual math in the sense that Jesus talks about him being in the Father and the Father being in him, but us being in Christ, which also means that we're in the Father, and you, you kind of get this spiritual math going on. Let me just pick up with verse 15. Context again. Last night of the life of Christ, just a few minutes probably after Jesus said these things, he's going to celebrate the Lord's Supper with his disciples and et cetera. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor. Some of you have the word comforter. Both of them are good translations. To be with you forever, right? Not a bad thing. He is the spirit of truth. It's a reference to the Holy Spirit. Another portion, another part of who God is, is the Holy Spirit, and he's the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because Jesus has been with us and he's been here for us and therefore we can know him and we do know him because he remains with you and he'll be what? In you. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. That, in other words, our experience of being in the family of God is actually actuated. It, it, what makes that happen, who makes that happen is the Holy Spirit and we experience being a part of the family of God, being connected to God through the Holy Spirit so we're not, off, not an orphan. In a little while, the world will see me no longer, but you'll see me. Because I live, you will live too. And that's all good stuff. But I just want to, in that day, you will know that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I'm in you. Here's this spiritual math that what Jesus is saying is that as a result of my coming and being with you and living a redemptive life, I've opened up a new possibility that you can have a new sense of the presence of God. It's not just that God is around us, but it's that God is in us and that we can have a sense that we literally live our lives in God and in Christ, and all this happens by the Holy Spirit. And that is a tremendous gift. The gift of the presence of God in us and the, and the wonderful, incredible gift of us being, being able to be present in God. Let me, let me just pull out just a couple of truths related to this. And we're, we're going to flip over to Romans chapter 8 right now. And then we're going to come back to John 14. And then we're going to go back over to Romans again. And again, I... I'm <coughs> And our, and our first text in Romans is Romans chapter 8. 
It's page 961 in your pew Bibles, if I remember correctly, having looked it up just a few minutes ago. Romans 8 is a great chapter for you to read and kind of study and reflect on if you've not done it so. It, it, it talks about the, the fallout, the positive fallout of God sending his Holy Spirit, sending the person of the Holy Spirit, God in the form of the Holy Spirit into the world and the impact that it has on us and our ability to live out our lives that way. But there's one aspect I want you to see here in verse 16. It says, the Spirit himself, that's a reference to the Holy Spirit who's in us, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we're God's children, we're also Heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified by him. Part of the blessing of the presence of God within us as a result of everything that God has done in Christmas and the fallout that comes from that is that God has taken a personal residence inside of us and he has this objective to say, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. You're mine. You are a prince or a princess of the kingdom. You, you are a co-heir, fully written in for a full share of God's last will and testament for all of eternity. You have a voice within you that is saying to you, you really matter to God because you're mine. Now, some of us don't always hear that voice. And the earlier parts of Romans 8, and I wish I had a lot of time to get into it, tell us why. It's because we have a tendency to be listening too much to the flesh, too much what the world is trying to tell us, too much what we've grown up kind of thinking about ourselves, instead of listening and living by the Spirit who's trying to whisper in our ears, whisper in the, into the, into, you know, shout into the ears of our hearts saying, you matter to God because you are his. Now, by, by the world's standards, not all of us might be rocket scientist success stories. But in God's message, he's trying to communicate to every single one of us that, that you're a champion, that you matter, that you're great, you're precious to him, you're mine. Second part of this. Back over to John chapter 14. Hopefully you kept your finger there. If not, you're, you'll find this in, again on page 916. As Jesus is talking about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, he, he wraps up this way. You know, we, we, I mean, it is natural for us to ask, well, how is it do I live by the Spirit instead of living by the flesh? How is it that I keep myself in a place where I can really hear this resounding message from God that you that I belong to him, that I'm precious to him, that I'm a victor in him, that, that I'm a co-heir with Christ, that I'm an eternal royalty. How is it that I can listen to those things? How can I actually experience, in terminology we used last week, to move back from the actual of where we're at to the ideal that God had designed for us and that Jesus came to create, which is for us to reign with him, to be in, in, in relationship with him? This is what Jesus says. But the counsel of the Holy Spirit, this is verse 26. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, the Father will send him in my name, will teach you all things, 
and remind you of everything I have told you. Part of the role of the Holy Spirit within our lives is that God sends him into us as we reside in Christ, the Holy Spirit enters into us, and his primary objective is to teach us and to guide us so that you and I don't miss out on any of the blessings that God intends to give us in Jesus Christ. What you don't know, he's going to teach you. And what you knew but you forgot, he's going to remind you. <laughs> you know, the, the story, the, the image that came to my mind was Christina and I, we lived down in Rockland for, for the first seven years. We were back in New England after my seminary days, and it was an old house. It was a big 1921. It was one of these raised bungalow types. I mean, the rafters to the to the peak in the in the in the roof were four, two by fours, real live two by fours, not two and not one and three quarters by three and a half, but real live two by fours. But I always wondered if the roof was going to stay up there. But we had this ancient bathroom, right? We had this one problem. It was the only bathroom. So when you remodel a bathroom, and it's the only bathroom, guess what? You have about ten to twelve hours to get that done, right? You know, at least to get it functional again and have a happy marriage, you know. And, and I had been around some construction a little bit. I, I knew a few things, but I also knew enough to know that I didn't know really how to do this by myself in 10 to 12 hours. And I was really grateful that my, my dad, who, believe it or not, in his, after his freshman year in college, built a ranch house two houses down from his parents and sold it off as a way of paying his way through college, he came down to give me a hand. And with him there, I had enough confidence that at 7 o'clock in the morning, I was knocking the window out of the side of the house and pushing it out into the driveway. And we pulled the tub out and tossed it out the window and framed up a new window, put the tub in, and Christina got to take a shower the next morning with plastic hanging around on the inside of the tub, but it was working. There was water coming out, you know, and that was all that mattered. But because I had a guide, because I had somebody who knew what they were doing and knew how to get there, I had the confidence to take the step and move forward and to do something new. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Steps into our lives so that you and I can have this confidence. He's saying, you, you belong to God. You, you are God's child, and you can do this. And I can show you exactly how to do this. And maybe a great passage of Scripture to kind of pull in a phrase is that, you know, the, if he guides us, if he teaches us and he reminds us, at least to the fact that if we know the truth, the truth will set us free. Powerful stuff. Back over to Romans for just a minute, and then we'll conclude and celebrate the gift. This is page 967, I believe. And I want to just look at the, the 17th verse. Again, there's a, Paul's talking about a lot of wonderful stuff here, but in Romans chapter 14... The 17 verse. And he's talking about some things in relationship to the church and how it functions and the different cultures coming together and the different, you know, wealth classes and all that kind of stuff. And, and he says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. But this is what the kingdom of God is. But righteousness, peace, and joy, what? In the Holy Spirit. See that little word again? This is one of those times where as a preacher, you really feel limited because sometimes a thousand words still don't eat up, add up to a picture, you know? A, you know I, I, I could probably spend all day trying to describe to you how incredible Niagara Falls is, and you could be there for 10 seconds and get far more than that, right? I mean, it's just, you know, you can, you can try to describe it or whatever. You can see videos and Lady in the Mist and all those kinds of stuff, and it's not the same thing as standing on the rim and just listening to the roar 
of all that water following, just how flowing and falling and just how majestic it is. Or, you know, I could spend a lot of time telling you about just how beautiful the Grand Canyon is. And that would be a really difficult beat because I've never been there and I want to go because I, you hear the description and it kind of whips your a- appetites. But I'm confident when I stand on the rim of the Grand Canyon, it's going to be far better than anything that anybody's ever told me and how just incredible it is to see. And so when I speak to you about the fact that, that the Holy Spirit allows us to experience the kingdom of God now, and we experience that in righteousness, he talks about, and he talks about in peace and in joy. When I talk about those three things, I'm really in many ways just scratching the surface. Righteousness here is not in the sense of performance. It's like, it's like you've always done everything right, and you've got a hundred in every spiritual test. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about having a right relationship with God. The context of righteousness here is, is covenantal or contract. Maybe the best thing we would have in our society to talk about the fact is somebody has a good marriage they have because they have both, both spouses have fulfilled everything that was a part of the covenant that they entered into together. And with that, they have this good relationship, this great relationship. The Scripture would say that they have a righteous relationship. There is... There is a right relationship, this connection. And the kingdom of God exists or consists in you and I having this perfect relationship with God. Peace isn't just the, isn't just the absence of conflict, though that's a part of it, but it's far more about having present in our lives everything that we need to be able to thrive. It's, it's not just that we don't have anybody throwing darts at us, but it actually means that we have everything that we need to be able to live in a healthy fulfilled kind of manner. And it, the kingdom of God is about living life here and for eternity in such a way that you and I are experiencing the best that God has for us. And lastly, it's this idea of joy. And joy here is emotional, but it's more than that. It's also a sense of, it's a quality. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. So when the Spirit of God is at work within us, we have this sense of joy within us and and it's not circumstantial, but it's more internal. It's, it's not so much an emotion. It's a quality that leads to an emotion. And, it, and it's just this prevailing sense of knowing that things are good and they're only going to get better. <laughs> things are good and they're always going to get better. Maybe not in the next decade or two, but for the next three or four or five or a hundred millennia. They're going to follow after that in eternity. It's going to get better. And there's that incredible sense of joy. And here's what I don't want you to miss out on this Christmas season. With all the stuff that we do, and, and I, I enjoy it just as much as you, family and trees and decorations, though I took the easy way on decorations outside this year. Uh, it seemed to me one light bulb shining on the house was a whole lot better than an hour and a half fighting strings and none of them working. So, but you know, outside all that stuff, the major thing is that God wants to fast forward the future of the kingdom and in Christ, and with the Spirit in us, wants us to experience the kingdom now. That's what the presence is about. And that's what God's trying to give us in Christmas. Let's experience that through our faith in Christ. Let's take just a moment and pray. And I'm going to invite those who are going to help serve the Lord's Supper to make their ways to the serving stations in the back.
Father, I'm thankful today, and I think everybody in this room is thankful, that the Christmas story didn't stop when Mary and Joseph and Jesus left the manger. But the Christmas story was just beginning. The story that hasn't ended yet. As your presence with us in Christ continues to create fallout for us in incredibly good ways, blessed ways. God, thank you for the privilege of being present in you through our faith in a crucified, buried, and resurrected Savior. And God, thank you for the presence, your presence in us in the person of the Holy Spirit who's guiding us each and every moment, whispering in our ear in an, in, 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 in an incredible way. We matter. And we can thrive. We can experience the kingdom now. So God, as we come to your table today, we pray that you would indeed call us afresh into your presence. As we pray in Jesus' name.